I think a good place to start mm-hmm. would be um would be uh because you're a um uh, what would I call it a licensed uh, counselor or a, a therapist a, a licensed marriage and family okay. therapist a licensed marriage and family therapist yes uh and you're also apostolic yes. you're a believer Amen. um there are some camps within the apostolic movement perhaps that see these two things as desperate from each other mm-hmm. um and not compatible so I guess my question would be, where did your journey start? Mm. Uh, it may be a combination between your testimony and how that led into you um, pursuing this area. Yeah. And how have you integrated your faith, perhaps, into this area or at least in your studies or yes. in your counseling? Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'll let okay. you go. Yeah. Well, I grew up in the church. Um, my entire life and I was almost literally born under a pew my mom went into labor you know when she was in church on wow. a Sunday and so um, that's that was my story but I was born into a, a great family of uh, first generation apostolic uh, Pentecostal and my dad was a wonderful friend of the ministry and a, an amazing man of God and my mom actually um, was in church as well but my mom had bipolar disorder uh bipolar one with psychotic features and so i had experiences in my childhood where uh, my mom would have psychotic episodes Mm. and it was absolutely terrifying as a child when that would happen when she would go to the hospital when she was psychotic she would get hospitalized when she would come home we just didn't talk about it Mm. There was nobody at church that would be able to talk to me about it. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was almost like when it wasn't happening, it was a big secret. We just kind of crossed our fingers and hoped it didn't happen again. Yeah. Um, and so that was something that I, I think shaped my identity as well as being a military kid moving, wow, you yeah. know, when I was young and my dad seemed to have a, a burden for home missions. And so we would go to small churches oh, okay. and help pastors and it was great, but I, it was a lot of isolation. Wow. And so when I went to, I felt a call in my life when I was very young, about 11 years old. I remember the night that I felt God call me, but I didn't know really what that meant. Um, and I knew I wanted to go to Bible college. And that's where my mind went. And so um, in 1999, I went to Bible college from here. Um, and uh, I took a class on psychology. And that's the first time that I had ever anyone ever spoke not not just inside the church but even at all about psychology Mm. and um, something that had plagued me so much was my mom when she was psychotic I didn't know if she had been possessed or if she um, wasn't possessed Mm. I didn't understand that and I felt like I couldn't talk about that to anybody so I remember in the what's the chapel now at Christian Life Center I went and I was where my class was. Yeah. And the, I walked up the to my side chapel. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. There and in the I West walked Lane. up to my teacher and I said, you know, can I talk to you? It's like this huge secret that I'm carrying this big thing that you don't talk about or tell anybody kind of thing. And I told him my story about my mom and he wasn't a therapist or a psychologist, but he gave me such a wise answer. Um, I said, you know, was she possessed? And he said, well, let me ask you this. When she took her medicine, did she, was she better? And I said, yeah, when she took it. <laughs> Yeah. And so he said, 
then she wasn't possessed. Then it was a chemical imbalance or something with her brain. And it was just such, it might sound like a small conversation, but the first time in my whole life that I w- was able to talk to someone about my story or what happened to me and somebody to help make sense of something to me yeah. was so powerful. Yeah. And it definitely, the books I read then really sparked my interest, but I just kept going through Bible college and um, actually in Bible college, she had what I remember to be her last psychotic episode when I came home. And um, so I, I'm living like in these two different worlds, basically, wow. where again, the, I, the sense of isolation is indescribable. It's almost like living in a parallel reality, mm. which a lot of people end up living in when they're children and there's nobody to talk to them about what's going on. And so um, finally, after Bible college and I graduated from Bible college, a friend of mine was going to go to a university one night for kind of a meet and greet about their psychology program. And I went with her and I heard it and I said, I think that's what I want to do. Still not understanding what my burden at that time was. I want to help the families of the mentally ill, not even understanding really what therapy was. Yeah. That I wanted to come alongside families. And that's really what a lot of my careers ended up being is coming alongside families, dealing with somebody who has a mental illness, but I also deal with a person that has mental illness. So that was my first foot into psychology, and that was um, about 19 years ago. And so for many years of my career, I worked in uh, going to church, working in ministry, but having the secular job where I was working in intensive outpatient clinics with homicidal, suicidal, psychotic children, victims of trauma. Wow. Um, I was working with, I was one of the people that was able to 5150 at the the address that I worked at, seeing kids after 72 hours of discharge. um, That was what I did for eight years. And then I went to a school district and I started working on campus. Uh, There was, at this particular school I worked with, I was over grades 10 through 12, so it was 1,800 kids. And I had a therapist that was over ninth graders, which was 930 kids. And I um, really was kind of like a first responder mental health crisis person um, at that point. And so this whole time I'm going to church, I'm loving God, working in ministry, but it's almost like working at a Nordstrom or something. Yeah. I don't know, just a secular job. I was, yeah. It was very, very separate. Mm. Um, and I would, I actually was recognized in the county at one point for bringing spirituality into therapy because I was... I would ask, you know, clients if they are Christians, how much can we talk about this? How much, how comfortable would you be? And they really loved that about me, wow. that I did that. Um, but it wasn't, um, you know, that was here and there where I could fit it in and that yeah. kind of thing. So that's wow. kind of my story. And I think that my childhood experience, yeah, it definitely is what drove me to become a therapist. Absolutely. Wow. So now let's reverse that. Is there anything about now that you've you've had a lot of experience in um in therapy and helping individuals through mental health and i mean from a biblical perspective Mm -hmm. we we probably would just call that you know spiritual health because for a christian the spiritual health encompasses the whole of the individual at least it should Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, is there anything about being uh having been trained as a therapist and practice therapy and uh, being an apostolic mm-hmm. and your experiences in the church, mm-hmm. looking back to your childhood, has there any, has there been anything about those things that have helped you understand your past and make meaning of that past? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that 
it helped me see when you deal with people that have no safe place as a child. I had the Lord. Mm. I had Jesus. I had the Holy Ghost in my bedroom when there was nobody to talk to because my wonderful dad and my mom was doing whatever was going on in her life. He's in the Navy. He's not able to be there all the time, right? I mean, he can't. So I'm I'm there and Jesus was there. I had the Holy Ghost. I could speak in tongues alone. I didn't need people. And I want people and people are good. And I see the value of community. I'm not saying that, but not everybody has community all the time. And so it goes through seasons where they don't have community. Yes. It basically showed me later after dealing with so many people and horrific, horrific stories and horrific situations, why I came out as good as I did. Mm. And not that I was, I didn't need healing and not that I didn't need my own therapy or mentoring or counseling, but why I survived, why I didn't do some of the things that some people had similar stories to me. But I didn't have the same experience because I had the Holy Ghost. Wow. It's completely, it completely solidified my faith. Yeah. Wow. How old were you when all that was going on? How, how, or let me ask you this. How young were you when you started embracing the Holy Spirit in your room Mm -hmm. and God was helping you through that whole journey? When I, I remember I was about 11. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's pretty young. That's yeah. pretty young. So at five, my mom had her first psychotic break and okay. I would just learned what Acts 238 was. It was that I, I was telling her, mom, I, I memorized it. I was wow. so excited. Wow. Right. And she's like, that's great because I'm God. And I said, and in my five-year-old mind, I was oh, like, wow, that's not right. Oh, wow. It terrified me that she said that. Wow. Yeah. It didn't confuse me. Yeah. I, I was like, dad you know i back dad something's not right right that was so after that i get the i was very god hungry from a young age Mm. like i i think this because i was lonely yeah and i just kind of hooked on to that after i received the gift of the holy ghost i think i was seven but i remember at 11 is when i remember my dad being deployed i really remember god in my room holding me wow it helped me even when I got married, when marriage isn't easy. I mean, I think everybody knows yeah, that absolutely. it's not easy. Yeah. I never saw myself put my husband in the place where he was God, like other people seem to do. And I think really because he wasn't there when I was in that state. There was something more fundamental that happened yes. to you at that age. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't. Yeah. And so because of that, even I've been able to... Uh, and with me, my own counseling too, yeah. uh, getting tools, I've been able, I was able to step back and let God do work on him while yeah. I, I was able to take that space because I right. had that safe place already right. from a very, yeah. very, very young age wow. where I, and I remember being suicidal when I was 14. I remember thinking, I wish I wouldn't wake up. Yeah. I wasn't like, th- I, I think I thought of maybe how I might do it, but God was there for me and wow. I had that God awareness. I yeah. never talked to anybody about that at that time. Yeah. I never said it. So I went through times where I felt really bad. I mean, yeah. it wasn't like it was just like I knew I got it and I just kind of went through right, it. You right, right. All peaches and no, cream and absolutely everything. Absolutely not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. But I can see based on my experiences why I was able when I did get into therapy or I did get into a mentoring relationship with my with an apostolic 
pastor's wife that mentored me and, and healed my mother wound, mm. it's because I had experiences of safety before. It yes. wasn't completely unfamiliar to me right. for someone to love me yeah. or to feel love. Wow, that's tremendous. You know, I'm, in, in hearing your stories, I'm, I'm actually reflecting in a little bit in, in some of my stories, you know, you know, in a similar fashion. But it happened a little bit later in my life. When I was about 12, my parents divorced. And uh, my father got a job that kept him working all the time. I wasn't living with my mother. I was living in a home with 18 other people, aunts and uncles. It was a Mexican home mm. where we were all crammed in one home, you know, and yeah. it was great. A lot of it was fun. You know, as a kid, at least, I'm sure it wasn't fun for the adults in the house. But <laughs> to play with my cousins every day and, yeah. and to have a good time. But yet at night, mm. everyone would go to their rooms with their parents, with their families. And me and my brothers would sleep in the living room. Um, and, uh, and there was a lack of um, uh, parenthood there. Mm -hmm. uh, and in those moments, I learned to lean on God. Mm -hmm. I'd learned to put on music and just meditate on the things of God and, and allow the Holy Spirit to be my comforter, mm -hmm. that God to be the rest uh, and, and that I had to my soul, you know. So... You know, at, it, there's a, a sense of enduring attachment that began at that point in mm -hmm. time that has followed me my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I'm just relating a lot to what you're saying, mm -hmm. though certainly not the same um, a scenario, but the principle seems to be the same. Yes, here. absolutely. And, yeah. and when attachment's been broken, it can be repaired. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. it doesn't mean. And so I, I always like to say that in situations where other people could be listening, their parents what we're going to talk about probably today, a lot of people are going to say, oh, messed up. Yeah. Wow. I, that guilt, it'll yeah. kill you yeah. as a parent. Yeah. But. Yeah. But it can always be repaired. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I think a lot is to come here. And, and I guess this is a good segue uh, to touch on one of the subjects that, uh, that we talked about before uh, coming on the podcast. We talked about it a few days ago in preparation because in talking to an apostolic, uh, apostolic therapist or ap let's apostolic uh, individuals familiar with both worlds of psychology, mm -hmm. secular, but also the work of the Holy Spirit, you know, there are a multiplicity of things that we can talk about. But one of the things that I wanted to hone in here was uh, creating uh healthy spiritual attachments to God, creating God attachments, relational attachments. And what I have in mind is perhaps a, a, an understanding of our attachment or a relationship with God that is a little bit informed by what we know about human attachment mm -hmm. uh, in general, how we as human beings uh, make attachments in relationships with each other, with parents, with brothers, with family, with friends. And to go into that, really, we have to kind of define what um, um, at least a general understanding of attachment theory or what psychologists are currently saying about what attachment is, how it's developed, and what's the value of mm -hmm. attachment. So if I can just throw the ball, you know, to your court here and you sure. can give us kind of a general overview, what is attachment before we actually end up applying it to God? Mm -hmm. Okay. So attachment basically is how you give and receive love. Mm. 
Okay. That's what I could bottom line it down to. Are yeah. you able to give love when it's needed? And are you able to really receive love unconditionally? Mm. Do you do you understand how to do that? And when you can do that, you will what's called attach. That means you won't abandon at irrational times for irrational reasons. Mm. Meaning, is there, is there, there's things you should be attaching to, just like the human body should be, your baby should be drinking a bottle. Well, my baby doesn't drink bottles. Oh, okay. That's an attachment, right? Yeah. It's something it's, it should be attaching to physically yeah. to nourish it. Well, mentally and psychologically, we should also be getting our nourishment from something and not rejecting the nourishing thing. Mm. So if a baby is not you know, holding down its formula, right? That's a physical example of attachment issue. Yeah. It's, it's rejecting the very thing that should be giving it life. Wow. Right. And so that starts at a very, very young age, our Mm -hmm. psychology. And it used to be the train of thought was in science, all that really mattered was behavior, Mm. right? And thoughts. That's it. And that's what you hear a lot of therapists talk about. And cognitive behavioral therapy is a type of therapy that I've used in therapy and I do still at times. And it's very biblical as a man thinketh, so is he. And the Bible talks so much about our thoughts and how our thoughts are so important. And when you change your thought, it can change how you think about things if you're appropriately attached. Oh, okay. Okay, so... It's based on the assumption mm -hmm, of attachment. Yes. Yeah, wow. And so when people go to cognitive behavioral therapists or they try just uh, cognitive behavioral techniques, that ways that you can daily do exercises to change that you're thinking if you already have attachment that can be very powerful but when somebody does that and it still doesn't work for them mm. they there can be a huge sense of failure and hopelessness and that can obviously re-traumatize somebody right where they yeah. don't feel safe because i'm not even safe in the psychology i mean i can't no one can fix yeah. me i right. am broken right yeah, wow. and so um that's kind of what my therapy has kind of morphed into is helping people that don't have the attachment piece and how to help that attachment piece, which Jesus Christ is the ultimate attachment. The Holy ghost is the ultimate attachment. It's the ultimate, everything science, anything that's found in science that actually works is always biblical. I found anything that comes through psychology. And I've only been, there's therapists that have been therapists for 40 years, right? I'm only 18 years in. So I'm not saying I'm the most experienced, but in my 18 years there, I've seen fads come through and I've seen different things come through that end up dissipating because it doesn't work. And usually you'll see those things are, they're not biblical. And the things that happen to be biblical, they're the principles of God, like people that don't acknowledge God who save money, right? And they're good with their money. They end up having wealth, Yeah. right? Because that's a principle found in Proverbs. It's not. Because it's not like, well, then I guess you don't need God. No, they were practicing God's law. Right. And that's what that worked. So yeah, it's the same see, thing. That's, that's, a, that's the important thing about, um, about uh, when, it, when we as Christians are approaching, approaching things like psychology, things like, you know, uh, uh, thera- therapeutic uh, methods. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think your perspective is, is right spot on. And, and actually the thing, kinds of things that I've thought about, um, we, we are quick to give God the glory for even secular methods that work because the only reason why they work mm-hmm. is, let me say it this way, because gravity pulls everybody down, right? right. If you jump, you're coming down, right? There's nature, there's mm-hmm. a natural world and God it has instilled wisdom or a way of functioning within the world that if you live within the parameters of 
that function, you're going to get benefits. You know, you are going to reap benefits. Right. There is a season and a time to plant a seed in the ground. Yes. And there is an, that opportunistic season. You don't have to be a believer in God to know that season, but yet that wisdom is within nature mm -hmm. itself right, exactly. if you plant it at the right time you yes. water it it's going to grow and you're going to reap fruit from it mm -hmm. that's a very concrete simplistic example of exactly what's going on in the therapy yes. world in the world of even secular therapy and uh and so um, it's yeah. never confused me that people that don't acknowledge god they get better in therapy yeah they do if they have a safe relationship mm. they don't get completely set free mm-hmm doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that they see the miraculous working in their life. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean their relationships are restored. Yeah. These are, there's, seeing that has only solidified my faith. Wow. It does not shake right. my faith in any way. Yeah. And some plant, right? And some water and God gives the increase. And sometimes my job with someone is them having a safe relationship, them seeing their therapeutic goals reached. And I've had clients reach out to me two years later maybe on social media or something and i'm able to share the lord with them yeah right so they understand the basis but they were just seeing wisdom is what they were seeing yes right the wisdom of god so if i could ask you this you know going back to the concept of attachment um what are some of the markers perhaps that uh their a, a healthy attachment has not occurred uh early in life in an individual because if a person this is what i have seen and this is just my intuition you know speaking is that if someone doesn't have healthy attachments or no attachments at all that is going they're going to pattern a lot of their behavior later on in life based on that what are the kind of symptoms that you have seen perhaps in adolescence or youth young adult adults that give you signs that perhaps there's something missing in their past um so the the things that can be indicative in a, of unhealthy attachment and I'm can be people that have a lot of interpersonal problems. So an interpersonal trauma can be more traumatic than physical trauma at mm -hmm. times. So they haven't had a healthy relationship, so they're not able to form. So they see safe people as unsafe. Mm. They also see unsafe people as safe. Wow. So people might look at them and say, you didn't see that red flag. They, they really didn't. Wow. So there, there's that attachment that that's a could be an attachment piece. People um, also, when they don't have healthy attachment, they will not have empathy always that they should have. Okay. So sometimes they won't. If you see a parent that doesn't seem to have the empathy for their child that they should, they it's. I would say a hundred percent that yeah. they don't have good attachment. <laughs> right. Um, and so that can vary, right? There's a spectrum for all of it. So there's certain yeah. people that we see this a lot of times, you know, in the news or there's, you know, parents that do really bad things to their kids, yeah. things like that, all the way down to small ways that parents could, you know, not have empathy to medium ways. They could not have empathy for their children. Yeah. Um, and so abuse. So when someone is abusing someone or they're being abused and they're not doing anything about it, um, that can be a sign that there's an attachment wound there. Wow. So just basically anything that is not life-giving that mm -hmm. someone continues to maintain. And there, there are relationships that are extremely difficult that God will call you to maintain for yeah. a spirit-led reason. And so I'm not talk, I'm not, I'm talking about abuse and I don't believe that God wants anybody to be abused. Right. 
Um, but maintaining abusive relationships are clearly abusive. Yeah. Um, and allowing them or participating mm-hmm. in them. Right. In exactly. Them. There can yeah. be, that can be a sign of an attachment wound. Wow. And Do you know of any th- any um, examples, perhaps uh, you know that you can think of? You know, of course, protecting individuals' identity and and things like that. Examples of 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 something that didn't happen or happened in somebody's past that affected a current relationship. Yeah, lot definitely, absolutely. I think it really comes up when I do see people be, that are in church settings because okay. that's a community, right? right? So it's a lot of chances for you to have interpersonal problems with people in a church community because they're all around you. Um, instability in relationship, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't want to invalidate. Some people go through seasons where they're in a situation that's abusive or they're in a situation that's very unhealthy or maybe they um, were put themselves in a situation and they didn't think it all the way through and they're yeah. having a hard time. So I don't want to... Uh, blatantly say that people that right. are having uh, different situations and they're a season of it, that that means they have no attachment. Have, yeah. I don't mean that. Or that you were going to be looking everywhere and saying, yes. oh, that's a bad relation. You have yeah. attachment issues. That's yeah, right. right. Exactly. You would have to be careful not to cultivate kind of that, sus- that I would call it hermeneutic of suspicion, the uh-huh. suspicious lens where we're looking at everything in those terms. Yes, exactly. So okay. in interpersonal problems, constantly having interpersonal problems is yeah. somebody that is probably so... They're having um, a situation where there is no rational reason that they can even sometimes say that they're, I don't, they can't seem to attach yeah. to someone they should be attaching to. Yeah. And they know they shouldn't be attaching to, or they're finding fault. People that are overly paranoid about interpersonal relationships right. usually have an attachment issue. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, there's individuals who feel like perhaps a friendship is getting too close, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they really feel themselves liking another individual uh, that is a brother, a sister in Christ. And because they feel perhaps comfortable with the relationship, that's the very thing that scares them away is I can't get too mm-hmm. close because too if vulnerable. I do, they're going to hurt me. That's right. right? Mm-hmm. We do that to pastors and ministers mm-hmm. and individuals who are genuinely there to help us. Mm-hmm. And we feel that they're actually becoming effective yes. in reaching our hearts. And then we run away. Right, that's unsafe. What causes someone to react that way? Why does that happen? Well, Why don't we just embrace it and say, yeah. yes, help me, yes, yes. love, yes. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Fellowship, right. family, you know? Right, well, if you also think about wound, physical wounds, right? When you have, if you had a, a deep physical wound and it wasn't untreated, after years it would become infected and it would become very tender. Yeah. So if someone gets any close to that vulnerability, mm. it's very, it's a protective factor, right, to back off, but... We can talk more about what could happen, how it evolves from young childhood. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so when we're, this is this is research that's been done. There's many, many credits you can give to many people. The research of, atta- you know, the field of attachment has mm-hmm. been going on for before I ever became a therapist. Yeah. But like I was saying before, I think what was more broadly known and accepted was the behavior and the thought, right? That was what was broadly accepted. And there was this, this you know, this group of this camp that was studying attachment for many, many years, but it wasn't really recognized. But now yeah. I think, and I can tell you why I think, but now it, now it's come to the forefront that the old tools aren't always effective for everybody. Yeah. And so um, what we, they found and really Dan Siegel did this work okay. um, when children are born, that their synapse and neurons are pruned together and they're, they're formed by emotions. Mm. 
Um, how do babies let their mothers know when they're, they need something through their feelings? Mm. They cry. Mm. That's turned on right away. That's your right brain, yeah. right? That's the part of your brain that is more, uh, it's music, it's art, it's feelings. That's more developed in mm. babies. And their left brain, which is logic, facts, and figures, and language, that's much less developed, mm-hmm. right? We see that in humans. And so brains start forming when mothers and fathers, I don't want to leave fathers out of it, yeah. but parents can get children when they are feeling distressed, right? They can get them to get in a more soothed state, mm. okay? So they can get them to access their systems that are more soothed. So the when they can get them to access those systems, that system is being exercised, right? Uh, and what okay. strengthens any of us, what we do, right? And yeah. so if we, any type of skill, any type of muscle in our body, if we use it over and over, that gets strengthened. And so babies that are able to access that part of their brain, right, that gets strengthened and that becomes familiar and a network begins to form. Wow. A channel that can be accessed. Yeah. That relational right? touching, embracing interaction mm-hmm. is cultivating the yes. beginnings or the foundation of what what happens later. Absolutely. Okay. And as, as language begins to form, yeah. children, the way parents teach and model to manage emotions, right, actually forms the child's capacity for emotions, their tolerance for emotions. Okay. okay? So that is how your brain is formed around emotions as well. Yeah. For example, the part of your brain, your insula, right? That's where you, you, if you close your eyes, you know if you're stepping on grass or concrete, right? Mm-hmm. That's your feeling. Yeah. If you shut that down because you're told to shut that down or you're not seen, that's not modeled for you how yeah. to handle feelings yeah. in front of you, it's not going to be strong. Wow. Right? So you're not going to, that feeling, that innate sense of who you are and the sensations in your own body are going to be almost like numbed down. It's like a weak muscle, right? That's just one example. Right. Right. So that's really, really important. So if you think of that channel being strengthened, right? When you, when you strengthen like a a cord, it's a strong, it's not broken, right? That electricity can, or that hose, the water can get through. Right. As you are tuning to your child's emotions, that's just reflection. Wow. Right? The baby's really sad and making eye contact with the baby and being able to emotionally join when someone feels like, I feel what you're feeling. I, the synergy that I'm trying to kind of make it in a word that we use a lot, Yeah. you know, and, and and as a parent, you kind of take that for granted. Like, doesn't everybody do that? Or yeah. then not really, not depending really. on what's going on in a parent's life when a baby's born. Let me reverse a little sure. bit back because it, 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 it reminded me of something that I read. I know I don't know quite exactly where I read it from. I think it might be the body keeps the score. Um, and um, and you said that feeling like the the insula influences our understanding of whether we're on grass or whether we're on concrete and if those uh those emotion uh, uh, physiological slash emotional connections are established then we become less even less perceptive of the world yes. is that kind of what, yes, you're, that's what i'm saying yes it, what, and what that what led me to re, to remember which helps me understand as well that in many ways adults are just big babies Mm-hmm. is is this this narrative i remember reading of individuals who were experienced depression or some kind of trauma mm-hmm. uh were disconnected from their feelings from the outside world it's almost like the outside world was distant 
And one of the methods of therapy was actually to uh, give massages or some kind of thing so they can connect their feelings to the outside. It's almost like mm-hmm. they, they weren't aware or they were less uh, uh, aware that they even had limbs. Right. Which, you know, it, they even had some agency over their hands mm-hmm. and their feet. And if you study like uh, depression, uh, I, I, I remember seeing a study as well where individuals who were depressed, they were actually degrees colder than other mm. individuals. Their body temperature was literally like colder. Blood flow is blood flow different. Is different. Yeah. Every, physiologically, their hands, their outer limbs are colder. Um, the blood isn't going to the outer limbs. Um, it's, they're becoming kind of a, a stale. And, and that's the thing about depression, it's, from my understanding, is that it isn't sadness Mm -hmm. it's almost like nothingness Mm -hmm. it's it's more like a a emotions or or almost that's what a disconnectedness Mm -hmm. like it's a stillness there were there isn't anger necessarily well there can be but Mm -hmm. but it's it's less like i'm sad and it's more like hopelessness Mm -hmm. uh, and things like that Mm -hmm. yeah so this it's like these brain body or these emotional uh, uh bodily uh, perceptions uh, follows you even to adulthood. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Because so, your brain wires around those experiences. Got it. And so it's automatic for you, mm. right? And so your brain stores um, different experiences in it, obviously, mm-hmm. good and bad experiences. But when even when you're that little, I think that's really important to remember mm-hmm. because obviously you don't know what you don't know, yeah, right? And so right. under pre-memory yeah what happens with you as a baby whether when you were born somebody was going through their own depression or a parent died you know I've, i well when someone was born as a baby maybe the mother was pregnant and the spouse passed away or mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. happened during that time yeah it affects the neural networks of that baby wow. or i've had you know situations where someone's lost a teenager or whatever while they they've had a baby and then they've yeah. lost you know a teenager or somebody in the immediate family especially and Someone outside your immediate family can affect you, absolutely. But I'm talking about that type of daily impact of losing someone in your household. Yeah. And the trauma, the lack of emotional connectivity, obviously was probably there because of what the mother was going through when that baby was born. And then you see things later where there can be lack of connection or lack of awareness of emotion. And that baby now is a teenager or an adult, right? And so that could have started at that time wow. is what I'm saying. So that's where attachment starts. Okay. So what I, I, I mean by that memory is stored and what I mean more than that is that your brain wraps around the experience. Mm-hmm. Think of more like the, an animal, right? Animals even can remember, mm-hmm. right? It's stored in their brain, even though they, though they may not verbalize it. Right. Mm-hmm. So something you're, when you are not accessing the more calm part of your brain and the mm-hmm. more calm state, and you're not accessing that, there's not that connection to that state where mm-hmm. that state is in your brain. You're not that connection is weak or it's not formed, mm. right? And so that's what I'm saying. So when you have a when you're not put to a level or a state of calmness, your other part of your system is activated, okay. right? And this is the fight, flight, freezer, fawn, right? This Got is it. the part of your brain where you're hyper alert, right? More you're instinctual, what you call it, right? Like more exactly. instinctual, okay? Right, and so the, you're under a lot of duress, right? You're mm. in distress, okay? Okay, and so when you're in that type of distress, 
you can activate your own system to okay. calm yourself down. What children end up doing, and you can see this in, even in babies will end up doing this. And basically what we would call it is like numbing out. Mm-hmm. Right? They'll just become numb. So that's part of your brain is activated over and over. You're going to make the pathway to that much uh, more stronger right. and easier to access. Yeah, almost like a path in a, in a wilderness mm-hmm. that you walk it enough times you create a natural pathway that's yes. easier to follow. Right. And it, you may automatically go there because okay. that's a sense of safety. Right. And when a baby from a young age begins to do that, that's a high level of dissociation. Mm, right. Okay. And I've even heard of um, like uh, different doctors talk about that ADHD, right? That really what it is, is dissociation, constant dissociation, right? It's constant stepping out of reality to, right. to be in a distant or different place because of the overwhelmingness the of reality. The chaoticness of the stimulus of the perception right. of the world. Right, and so in childhood, it's been, it's been talked about many times in research that babies can feel the stress of their mother. Yeah. They can feel that, and when that's overwhelming, they can begin to, for lack of a better word, dissociate. Yeah. Wow. Right. Not you be see, present. That's, yeah. And that's informing us in our understanding of what dissociation is now, which could lead us towards a completely, you know, a, yes. a subject that re- that is is worth its own podcast in and of itself. Absolutely. Wow. And, and I, it's hard not to talk about that yeah, because right. when you're not when your attachment is complete attunement, it's mm. complete presence. Wow. That's I've never right? heard it uh, described that way. It's complete yeah. presence. It's yeah. complete and utter joining yeah. together. Yeah. And that's what we're here is. and we're interacting with each other. And I'm that, letting the interaction happen between me and, and that other. the interaction safe. Right. The joining is safe. Yes, what if the, when yes. the joining isn't safe, when mm-hmm. somebody joins and then they abuse? I don't want to perceive you anymore. I want anything to do with right. the kind of stimulus that you give me. Yeah, because wow. last time I got that, I got yeah, hurt. It hurt. Right. It hurt. Wow. And so when from a young age, if somebody is not attuned to in a constant way, mm-hmm. And the mother is not getting the child to that more calm state. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Right. Right. That it, that place is just it. That like think yeah. of the forest. That was a perfect example. There's still weeds there. There's still th- I don't even know where that's at. It's yeah. Not, right. I see calm maybe way over there, you're but right. I, I don't. For, how do you get from here to there? No idea. Yeah. So then you're using cognitive behavioral type of interventions. I'm change the way I think. Change the way I think. Change the way I think. What if you can't control your own thoughts? Right. Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. Wow. It's, and then the hope starts to get lost, right? It's like, yeah. well, I can't do what they're saying. And there's a path to hopelessness. Right. And the path to hopelessness gets strengthened and saying, right. all the times that I've tried, I have failed. Why try? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And wow. you know what confirms that even more? is So now we, if we cannot access our more calm state, right? We can't access that. We don't know how to access that. And we went into a numbing state mm-hmm. more often, and that's super easily accessible when there's yeah. stress, any type of perceived stress. It's uh, Now it's become an automatic response. What a child does when they're overwhelmed by emotions and they're attempting to get into that more calm state and they start numbing out, I don't know why, and I wish scientifically I knew why this happens, mm-hmm. but it has been found in the next, this is going to blow your socks off, just get ready for this. The next thing that happens to child innately is shame. Okay. Okay, so the child... Describe that. Like, what do you mean? Okay, so the child takes their sense of self from the parent. When we're parent... When we're 
we are God to our kids, basically. We have that much power in their mind, you know, when yeah. they're little. And before we introduce them to God, we are God to them. Yeah. That's why I am so thankful at such a young age. I had a concept of who God was, right? Wow. Because, yeah. <laughs> whoa, I would have thought that was God. I'm like, that's not right. God, right? Wow, can you but imagine? But we're God to mm-hmm. our parents, our, yeah. our, our kids. We're that parents. source of morality, that mm-hmm. source of guidance of what is right and wrong. Yeah, right. And absolutely. so when a parent, especially as they get at a baby phase, maybe older, whatever, when especially when children understand language now, if a parent is shaming the child for who they are, for their experience, mm. a child takes their own self out of the way and puts that parent as their sense of self automatically. Oh, okay. It's automatic. They don't have to think about it at all. Okay. Describe that. What do you mean by so, that? They put the parent as the sense of self. Okay, so when I say to you as a mom, and what I say to you is so powerful yeah. that you instead of, you will invalidate or you'll say my own experience doesn't matter not real. when I'm speaking to you. That is that what's is truth, reality. right? So wow. if I'm telling you you're stupid, if I'm telling you you're being a baby, wow. if I'm telling you only little girls cry like that, you're a boy. Oh, wow, yeah. You know, um, what are you trying to do? Are you yeah. trying to, you yeah. know, don't talk to me like that. Who are right. you to tell me that? Wow. I'm, I, you're questioning your own experience, right? Yeah. I'm wow. not mean. You want to know mean? Yeah. Right. I'll show you what mean is right. or whatever. Right. You're starting to say to yourself, maybe I don't know what mean is. Maybe yeah. I'm crazy. Maybe I'm, I don't, I don't think little kids have that, that concrete, mm-hmm. but subconsciously they will take their, their own experience and push it Invalidate aside. It. And now the parents what they're saying to them, that is what is true. Wow. Okay. So what we see that with that, that sense of shame, when that pathway gets walked in this forest analogy, Yeah. right? Yeah. That parent, when that parent is physically away, that voice thought, I would say more, Yeah. that thought is there. Yeah. Why are you crying? What's wrong with you? Right. Are there you, comes the are you stupid or something? The yes. self-punishing, the self uh, what, how, how would you call that? Um, yeah. uh, self-harm, Yes. you know, or emotionally they hit themselves and say, mm, mm, I don't want to feel this way because this is bad. This right. is bad to feel this way. Stop feeling yes. angry. Stop feeling sad. Yes. Right. And, and so wow. shame is so much more powerful and, and self-destructive than guilt because guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. Wow. And that's why when you have these type of interpersonal lack of attachment and trauma as a child, and you go to regular talk therapy or someone that's not aw- at least aware of what attachment is yes, and yes. doesn't understand it, mm-hmm. you can definitely feel like there's no hope for me wow. because you already felt shame, a sense of shame when you went, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so when that shame pathway gets solidified and the longer that the the longer you talk to yourself like that, right? You're just in that forest. You're just wielding down yeah, that path. I mean, that's well. just, oh yeah. And everything will come through there. Wow, now it's the yeah. only pathway. Everything's filtered through that that's road. Right. It came down that street, you know? Wow. Yes. Mm. And so it becomes so much part of someone's identity Yeah. that it is like taking away their gender to take yeah. that away from them. It is wow. like taking away their nationality, their skin color, to take that away from them. Wow. To wow. break that down is is very, very tough the earlier that that pathway started to be worn down yeah. in their and, brain. And now the complexities, as they grow in life, uh, this is just me thinking out, that, out loud, the complexities of life meet that very strong pathway 
such that let's say that there is a teacher that says, you're awesome, you're such a good student, they might say in their minds, it's only because you don't know who I really am. I yes. am actually not a good person. Right. I'm actually a shameful person. Right. And they put up identities, narrative identities to try to shield them, shield the outside world mm -hmm. from discovering who they that really wounded person, are. you know, that who they really are, so to speak. Um, and things. So I can see now the complexities of life adding many layers to that original problem, mm -hmm. which was misattachment or lack of attachment right. and, and things. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. So it's kind of like just changing the words in your head is not going to yes. completely help that Self talk, situation. you know, uh -huh. just talking to yourself mm -hmm. and telling you because yourself in and of itself is the problem. You know, right. it's your own voice. And so voice. parents, something parents need to know, we all invalidate our kids at times, mm. all of us. Whether you, it's in frustration or, or you know, happiness. Okay. Yeah, or happy, I, you okay. know, I, I could say to my daughter when she's not getting played with at the playground or something, and I, I feel so sad for her, mm -hmm. I could say things like, you know what, you don't need them. You have this friend, you have this friend, you have everything going for you. Mm. We're going to Disneyland next week or whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you got Chuck E. Cheese. Or if we're, when you have a little baby and they're sad, it, you go, oh, look at the water bottle. And, and it's they go, easy. Oh, yeah. Wow. Don't do that for too long. There's a wow. day you need to stop doing yes, that, you know? Right. Because letting your child feel their feelings and holding them yes. while they're feeling, they're working it out themselves yeah. through their own you're body. Right. You are projecting that you believe they will work it out. Wow. I'm not trying to fix this for you. You know why? Because I don't have to. Yeah. Because we're, you're going to get through it. Yes. Right? Wow. No, and I'm not saying, you're going to be okay. You're okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mean that. You're okay. I mean, Look I'm at this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's almost like a magic trick. It's like, yeah. don't focus on that that hurt you. I mean, I'm just thinking like people People still use those, those. they they, they end up using those skills later on. It's like, oh, this person really hurt me. They're a teenager. They're a young adult. And they say, well, you know, I'm going to my favorite restaurant. You know, I'm going to my favorite, Starbucks. my happy place. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're like, I'm dissociating here. You know, it's like, oh, no, everything's okay. Everything's fine. You know, So we're teaching the child. It's not okay to be sad. Mm, sad is bad. Right. I don't want you to feel that way. Yeah. Or we do the other way right. where we say things like, are you crying about that again? Yeah. Come on. Wow. Are you yeah. serious? You, does the, the whole world can't revolve around one person. Mm. Everybody has said something like that. We're not meant to be perfect. We're not meant to be the complete conduit to our children's yeah. uh, our children's system that calms them. Yeah. We're not meant to be that. Yeah. Because then we would be God. Right. And they wouldn't need God. Yeah. So let's not trigger the shame of no. parents now. <laughs> it's no. like, oh my goodness, I've been doing that to my child. Lord, right. help me. You know, and with all this knowledge and all this information, right. I still do that to my kids. Oh sometimes. my, it's, it's just part of human nature sometimes. That's right. Yeah. I'm not meant wow. to be their God. Yes. Right. I'm not meant to be that. But what I do is I go back and say, you know what? I could have handled that better. Yeah. And even though you did the thing you shouldn't have done, mm -hmm. I shouldn't have talked to you like that. Wow. I'm sorry. Yeah. Will you forgive me? Wow. You can repair at yeah. any age. Wow. You can make yourself that safe place for your child at any age. Yeah. It's harder the older they get mm -hmm. for them to trust that you're safe now yeah and you're not always going to be perfect right? right but you can repair that at any age wow so yeah. that's the beauty of that yeah oh wow that's powerful yeah. now let's talk uh, let's transition to the to the to the uh place of of ministry
um, as a minister, as a preacher, someone who's actively involved with the church, um, if we have saints that are coming, because my assumption is that there could even be saints that are still dealing with this attachment, these attachment issues uh, that stemmed from, you said, pre-memory, right? Even mm-hmm. before their conscience of things that happened in their lives. How, how do I, as a minister, help somebody or guide somebody effectively through this? I mean, of course, not replacing. I'm not saying, how does a minister become a therapist? No, but how does a lay minister who is dealing with this great group of people who most of them, if not all of them, likely will never visit a therapy mm-hmm, session. That's right. How can I be effective in... Um, in contributing to an individual's journey to finding healing um you know what perhaps are some ideas that you can give ministers well i think the first idea and i know this might sound you know maybe to some people like it's just too easy and it's not just this but the first layer and you can't overemphasize the holy ghost Mm -hmm. you can't because the holy ghost directly accesses that ventral vagal nervous system that that system where there is complete safety yeah. and complete peace yeah. that is unprecedented to any experience that yeah. any human being can ever experience. Amen. So as I'm not saying I've had every experience in life, but being a mom and a wife in a very happy marriage, it's very fulfilling to me. Yeah. Being married to the most handsome, attractive man that's ever walked the earth mm-hmm. and cares about my needs and loves me and is there for me and knows everything yeah. how to make me happy. Yeah. The Holy Ghost Nothing can compare to the Holy Ghost. Right. Nothing. Right. Nothing activates that system like the Holy Spirit. Yes. So this kind of seems easy in a way, right? The prayer that a, that a pastor does, the, the fasting, the emphasis on prayer cannot be overemphasized. Mm-hmm. And I know sometimes people say that's it, but that's a foundation. It's almost like what I'm talking about right now with people. Go yeah. back to psychology, right? right? Start with your infant, right? Yeah. Start in those those years right there. But if that's been, you know, you adopted a child who's older or you had your own issues when your child was little and you yeah. didn't do it right, now we got to go to repair mode, right? Yeah. But the medicine, mm. the medicine is the Holy Ghost. Wow. Yeah. So you can't just take your antibiotics. You also have to maybe lower your sugar, yeah. like when you're, you have a strep throat or something, right? It's like the doctor yeah. says, you know, don't, sugars where bacteria, okay, so don't eat sugar right now, take your antibiotics, get rest. There's other things, right? But you have to take your medicine, yeah. your antibiotics, wow. right? So anyways, the Holy Ghost, right. focusing on that, you can't yeah. overemphasize yeah. it. And don't ever think that it's, you know, a waste of time in any way, right. shape, or form. Because Yeah, because just because the situation is complicated mm-hmm. doesn't mean it begins with compl- the answer begins with complexity. Yes, right. You know, like, and that's the that's the that's the uh, the ironic thing, right? Because we've we've in many ways talked about many complicated things, but now we're entering when we talk about healing, we at walk through the door first of all to open the door. It you know is the Holy Spirit, that's the right. undergirding of the Holy Ghost, the power of God working in an individual's life, you know, and, and, you know, it just reminds me of one thing in, 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 that happened in my personal life that, you know, in many ways this happened through prayer without anybody even telling me that this was the way, um, is um, I came to realize that I can afford to love others. Mm-hmm. 
I can afford to love my friends, my family. I can afford to love my wife, not because I have a hundred percent guarantee that they won't fail me at any right. point in time, but I have a hundred percent guarantee that God will be with me. That's right. And because God loves me, I can afford to love. That's right. Because He is my safety net. That if everyone abandoned me mm -hmm. if my mother and my father would right. deny me i can still fall in the safe hands of my god that's right and because of that i choose to give love that's i choose right. to participate in that relationship of love with others yes and and which is the interesting thing right because the bible says that this should take us even to the extent of loving our enemies that's right those who are almost guaranteed right. to hurt that's us because right. i'm safe no matter what yes I'm right safe no matter what because god is my strong tower right. because he's my the one I, i'm preaching now because mm -hmm. you know it fill in the spirit now mm -hmm. you know it's because i have a name that is a strong tower a god that i can run to that i can give you love even though there is a guarantee that you're going to hurt me that's right. And and uh, that's the powerful thing. That's wow. That's right. You can't overemphasize that yes. because that is wow. attachment. Yes. You can't overemphasize that. That I feel I, I do talk to so many pastors that can feel inadequate, right? Because they yeah. can't fix it sometimes mm -hmm. with certain people. And it's like what you're doing is enough because you're playing your part. Yeah. You're doing what God has called you to do. Yeah. And if a therapist doesn't have a pastor that's helping that person cultivate the atmosphere of the Holy Ghost in their life in yes. some way. Yes, yes my job can go so far yeah but it's not going to do what god is wanting to do in their life yeah, if that makes wow. sense because yes. god uses me as a part of what's going on right yeah. i'm not obviously fully what's going on i think that the church holding people right because we have mothers in the church spiritual mothers in mm -hmm. the church and mm -hmm. spiritual fathers in the church and them being examples of yes. holding people's feelings and being patient with people I can tell you my pastor and pastor's wife have never invalidated my feelings mm -hmm. that I can remember. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, I've, I've been able to be completely transparent with right. them. And they never make you feel like a fool for feeling. No, that. I, I've, yeah. I've even said, I don't understand why you're doing that. That, yeah. that hurt me. I can tell them that and they can handle it. Yeah. Right. They can yeah. handle it. They want yeah. me to come to them with their questions, right. even if it's about them. Yeah. And so that is part of my trauma response, right? To say, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah. If you're not allowed to question that yeah. and question that at all, you're not going to heal. Yeah. You have to have to have safety. Yes. No matter what it really looks like. Wow. Now, it's not, I am very respectful to my pastor and I'm yeah. not saying that, of course. you know, it's okay for people to yell and scream at their pastor, no, call no, them no, names. Yeah. I'm saying though, is that people have to be able to be them. Right. Yes. To feel attached. So you can't yes. I cannot overemphasize the role of a pastor. Yes. In someone's life. I yes. can't overemphasize that. Yes. I think that that safe place of people being able to know that they can count on their pastor, their pastor is going to call them back. Their pastor is going that can re-trigger someone's trauma mm. to not be able to, to reach out and not get returned. And people get busy and everyone makes mistakes. I know that mm -hmm. I'm talking about something that's happening chronically right you know where they're not able to reach out they're yeah. not able to get that response yeah. right so because a pastor is an avenue through which god ministers mm -hmm. to the people but they are not god themselves right absolutely yeah. and yeah. people that don't have that attachment to their own father they're going to protect more of their issues yes right on their pastor subconsciously right. i've worked with people in therapy where i i can see that they're putting their attachment root their parent wound on their parishioner yeah 
I can see that. Wow. They don't even see that. Yeah. Right? So they have to, at some point, they realize that. But yeah. they can't, it, if I take that away from them right then without yeah. them having that stability with the Lord, yeah. then they have nothing, right? Wow. Okay, so, so what you're saying there is, is if you do notice that in another person, just because you do that doesn't mean that you tell them you're projecting fatherhood onto your pastor. Right, <laughs> you're, absolutely. You're projecting a, a God complex upon him or some I type of— I could be pulling the rug— Right they from may under not them. be ready for it. Right, right. absolutely. Yeah. And so that's something that I often do see when you just a second ago talked about complex questions, people coming to me and saying, who should I marry? Yeah. Or, you know, where should I move? It's it's kind of, it's the wrong question. Who are you attached to, right? Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Because yeah. if you're attached to the Lord, okay, right? You're yes. completely safe with your father. Yes. Completely safe. No matter what happens, Yes. that... You know that Jesus Christ has your back. You trust him implicitly like a child. Yes. You trust him fully. Wow. He's, you, I want to know that first. Yeah. Because oftentimes when we answer that, yeah. those questions get answered. Yes. They do. I don't have to. So I'm not there to answer those questions for people. Right. So back to a pastor. When I have a pastor that's involved, I don't have any authority in people's lives. I'm not an authoritarian in someone's lives. Right. 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 They can switch me. They can switch to 10 therapists, yeah. right? And I don't think God holds it to their account, right? Because I'm not leading. I don't have the responsibility of their salvation mm -hmm. to answer for their salvation, right? Yeah. Or, or how I guided them, right? Yeah. And so I don't have that immense responsibility on my, me as a pastor does. And so the responsibility that a pastor has is so immense, but also a pastor understanding that when he's praying and he is being... Um, he's showing up for somebody and he's being consistent in their life and that they can count on him when they need him. Right. Yeah. Or there's another, they're doing everything they can. Right. So the rest is up to God. Mm. Right. And so also our pastors and our ministry understanding, especially I think people that are more seasoned usually get this at some point, but sometimes when we first get into positions or we first get, have that responsibility, it can be hard for us to understand that we can't fix it for everybody. Right. Yeah. And it's not our job to either. Yeah. And sometimes therapy is the tool that God chooses to use to unpack and unpeel those layers. Yeah. Get and some understanding. About yes. Them. There's a difference between a miracle and a healing. And yes. if a miracle isn't happening, then there's going to be a healing. A right? process through which everything is made right. Yes. Right. That's I right. mean, well, in, in a way, we call that discipleship, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, what what the what what is their use of discipleship if if it's not the assumption that you are less perfect or short of the glory of God and through a process of learning to walk mm -hmm. in the spirit, right? right. You right. live in the spirit, then you get the fruit of the spirit. Right. That's discipleship in and of itself. Right. It, it, and that's the healing, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. You don't have to have the immediate miracle. And as soon as I got the Holy Ghost, everything was fixed within my emotional right. self, my mind, the thoughts that I thought it was just made whole, which can happen. I'm yes, not saying that it can't right. in many ways, you know, uh, but uh, but there's also a a process of healing, continual mm -hmm. growth and development. That's right. right? That's right. And the, the basis of the therapeutic relationship is that safe relationship with unconditional positive regard. Yeah. Okay, that's what we're supposed to do as therapists, that no matter what side you show of yourself to me, mm -hmm. no matter what you say you're struggling with, that I view you in mm -hmm. a 
positive way. Yeah. Right. I see something in you that's not completely broken. Right. I know that right. you can be better. And that's really what the role of the church is. Yeah. Right. Is that, and that's the basis of the therapeutic relationship. Right. Take out the tools, the efficacy of therapy and why attachment can be healed in therapy yes. is because 70 something percent of it is relationship you have with your therapist and the trust that you have with your yeah. therapist. And when I do trauma work with people, I cannot do that in the first couple of sessions. There's mm -hmm. no way we can form a relationship that yeah. quickly. They have to feel that they can trust me mm -hmm. and that they can show whatever side of themselves to me and that I'm going to view them in a positive way. That's exactly yeah. what ministry does too. Right. That's not really, that part's not different. Yeah. Is, is that so helping people as a, I think my opinion as pastors, something that they can do is like I said, show up for them, show faith in people, show that there's hope that you believe that even if they give up, you're refusing to give up. God's not done with you. I don't receive that. Right. God's yes. not done with you. Those types of things, yeah. infusing hope in people. Is that the apostolic version of unconditional positive regard to see Christ, mm -hmm. the potential Absolutely. of Christ being, cause I think theologically yes. my, my mind mm -hmm. goes to the Bible. Mm -hmm. I see that Christ yet, can be if you trust in him christ mm -hmm. will be formed in you that's right right and yes. christ is the epitome of a whole human being that's right he, he simply is the perfect expression of a human being the because he's god. god in flesh mm -hmm. and it's the the perfect wisdom of god lived mm -hmm. out which is why he's described as the word yes you know the word became flesh right um and so if we then tell an individual i still believe in you you know mm -hmm. there's nothing that you can do that can convince me that you cannot be that's formed right. into the image of Christ. That's right. It is still in you, right? Yes, that's right. And Paul assumes this. He says, you know, re uh, what does he say? Um, renew the spirit of your mind, right? Taking mm -hmm. off the old man, yes. putting on the new man. That's it doesn't right. mean the old man isn't going to come try to get back on you. That's right. But you can still take it off and yes. put on the new and be formed into the image That's of Christ. That's right, absolutely. Is there a relationship? Am I, am I perhaps, I mean, with some nuance, of course, because unconditional positive regard is likely to have all kinds of other secular theory behind it. Right. But is it safe to say that perhaps it is, it, it, the reason why unconditional positive regard works is because um, we must always see the potential of someone being transformed into the image of Christ That's in right. everyone. That's right. The Absolutely. drug addict on the street, mm -hmm. right? That's right? The person who's living in sin right. out there. We right. see And that's potential. why restoration is so important, right? right? That's repair. Rupture yeah. of repair. Yeah. So as much yeah. as a pastor can activate that safe place, mm -hmm. right? That's besides a therapeutic relationship yeah. Yeah. that's so powerful that's yeah. infusing the medicine yes right that's there's place the at the cross for you there's that's room right. at the cross uh -huh. for you that's right right wow. acceptance yes right absolutely tremendous that's acceptance powerful. and that that's enough and sometimes yes. what happens to us in ministry and as a therapist too so sometimes i you know i'll get it from both sides where people will something will happen and i don't understand what happened mm -hmm. you know i feel on paper i've feel like I've checked all the boxes. Right. I text them back. I, the right I've been things. there. I, I went to their, their birthday party. I mean, I did everything I yeah. could. I was there. Yeah. And I'm getting this pushback or yeah. this distance that I don't understand mm. from them. Understanding from my background, I definitely want to reach out and say, hey, is everything okay? For sure. Mm -hmm. But if I can't, if that person continues or they might even be disrespectful towards me or yeah. they might... Um, get triggered in some way and they may 
say something to me that yeah. seems to be even disrespectful. And I'm, I'm not saying that it's okay to do that. What right. I'm trying to say, though, is in ministry, knowing that that's not you. It, again, we need to take responsibility if we've yeah. done something. Right. But if we know we haven't, that's probably a trauma response. Yeah, it's probably don't an take attachment. It personal. Right. Yeah. And let God work. Step back so yes. God can work. And yes. that's okay. Because if we are interjecting too much, God can't speak to somebody. Yes. They're just hearing our voice all the time. Yeah. And there is a time to step back and let God work. Wow. And some people do have to float away to come back, right? To know what they have or to know that this was actually safe, yeah. right? And so not fighting that too much and letting people sometimes have to make their own decisions. Yeah. Right. And, and understanding that God works in that too, right? Wow. And that he can work in that too and still ha- keeping the faith yeah. that, that that can be. is super wow. powerful for people in the long run. Yeah. In the media, sometimes it feels like, oh, this isn't the right thing. Or it feels like, I know that's going to be bad for them. But if somebody won't listen to you or they don't want to heed you in any way, trusting God that he will in his time, right? He's going to, he has a, a different way that you don't yeah. know about for them and that they will probably yeah. come back once they realize that was a safe relationship yeah. for me. That'll be somewhere in the back of their mind. Wow. It's so not wasted. I'm thinking of, of the word of God. I'm thinking of the Bible and Jesus when he tells Peter, uh, he said, Satan has requested you. He has come and requested you. Mm-hmm. But I have prayed that you would not lose your faith. Jesus, knowing that Peter would come at a place in time where he interpreted relationship with Jesus as a threat, not many days afterwards, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because when he's warming his hands by a fire, mm-hmm. they ask him, aren't you a follower of Jesus? Mm-hmm. And in his mind attachment, mm-hmm. he says, I don't know him. Why would he deny Jesus? Mm-hmm. Because he knew that in his heart, he interpreted his relationship with Jesus as now a threat to his life. Mm-hmm. It was a threat to his well-being. Mm-hmm. So he disconnected from his relationship with Jesus and presented a form of himself that said, I don't know him. He even cussed. Mm-hmm. He even cursed with mm-hmm. his own mouth. Mm-hmm. And yet Jesus knew that that would occur mm-hmm. and still had love for him That's right. and still had compassion for him mm-hmm. and still um, saw the part of him that eventually is going to come back. Right. The Peter that would be in the boat in Galilee, see Jesus from afar and dive into Galilee to sw- Gal- into the sea to swim to his God right. who had resurrected right. and had a meal with him. You know, and uh, and which is really great when you know the future because Jesus yeah. does know the future, right? Right. But we don't. We don't. Yeah. We don't know that, <laughs> right? We don't yeah. know. He's yeah. like he saw Pentecost, right? When You're he right. saw Peter, so yeah. he's like this. He's it's gonna work do- out, right? Yeah. <laughs> A pastor doesn't know that many right. times, mm-hmm. but you know, but it, but it does work out in its own time yes. in its own place, God and God has, it goes after people. Something. That's wow. right. Absolutely. Wow. An- another scripture that came to my mind. Um, in in talking about this especially as as it relates to our childhood um strongly how our attachments that we make early in life strong strongly influencing the way that we live our life today is the scripture where jesus says unless you are like children you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven so scripture does actually envision looking back to the beginning of your development as a human being. That's right. And in a way, restarting that, you know, mm-hmm. 
uh, starting anew as a child, recovering the sense of innocence that should have been. The innocence that was lost because sin imposed itself upon us as children can be recovered because Jesus says, unless you become like a child, right. not the wounded child, not the hurt child, not the child that wasn't loved and did not receive love attachment and relational attachment, but the child that was safe in God's arms the whole time. Right. You know, revisiting that and recovering that childlike faith to point it towards God so that if God tells us anything in his word, you can move mountains. Instead of right. us saying, how do I know that is true? Mm -hmm. How do I know that you're going to come through? We actually become the child with awe in their eyes that says, no way. Right. That's true. Right. No way. If I pray, something can happen. Right. No way. If I come to you, you'll be my rest. Wow. It's like the child who believes that their father is Batman, right? right. Or Superman right. and say, no way. Right. Whoa, I believe that. No, Santa is real. Oh, I know he's real. He brought me presents, right? right. It's almost like going back and recovering that childlike faith and belief before it was damaged and right that even when, lost trust because in what the world. children's do what children do yeah. right even when things are bad it's a word it's yeah. going to be okay right yeah. i've got you it's they can see something around but they can put their faith easily and mm -hmm. what their parents say there's no boundary there there's no guard mm -hmm. and that's exactly what i believe god is saying and that, that's what i think of when yeah. i hear that be like a child who that even when things are dangerous you feel safe because your yes. dad is there wow right? that's powerful because your parent is there and your mm -hmm. parents arms the the faith that you fronted your parents that might have been destroyed mm -hmm. because it was in unsafe hands maybe yes. not even by their own um meaning to do that yes front me that yes. but often what i was going to mention and okay. there and when we do trauma work with people that have the holy ghost right when they go back to disturbing images and disturbing memories with the type of therapy that we do oftentimes be, they will it will come to them how God was with them the whole time and they'll see that disturbing situation in a completely yeah. new light. Wow. It's very, very powerful. It's now within a different narrative of meaning, a different yes. a different story yes. of meaning. They see it located now within uh uh God is now within that yes, story. Yes, that's right. And yeah. how they'll see in the actual disturbing image, they see that God was with them that whole time, that they were actually insulated to a degree. Mm. right they didn't feel what they could have felt yes. they'll see the danger but they say but it wasn't as bad as it could have been yes right yeah um they'll see and then they will see the lessons and because of that i learned that and because of that i learned that and then yeah. i got this connection wow. because of that and i met that person because of and all these things are already true but yeah. their lack of faith or trauma their neuron pathways in their brain did yeah. not let them see things that were already true that they already knew, but it would not let them see it. Yes, wow. And it will come out at that time. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Wow. But because the Holy Ghost mm. creates a pathway, right, for the the ventral nervous system, right, the, the peace, mm -hmm. right, that system that when you a baby is soothed comes to calm. Yeah. The Holy Ghost puts that in when you do actual trauma work that's that pathway is already there. Yeah. They've already, people have already felt that. Yes. And when you feel safe, you can come to new realizations and actualizations you could have never yeah. had wow. when you didn't feel safe. Wow. It's almost like new information. Yeah. 
that's not new or that that information that was positive that I believe the devil blocks yeah. from you and says it's like you knew it, but you didn't credit it. Yes, right. Right. It's yeah. like I knew that was there, but now it means something to me yeah. because I feel safe. I can I can accept that. Wow. I can accept the life, the life giving information. Yeah. Right. Wow. So somebody who has a car accident says when they process their trauma, they go, I forgot a lot of off duty first responders came and helped me. Mm. I that happened. It's not like it's new information. They yeah, knew that, yeah. but they weren't looking at it at yeah. all. People that have had some sense of God in their life at some point and yeah. never told me. They came to me and said, "I don't go to church. I don't." If we when we do that work, all of a sudden I'll say, "You know, I think this is weird. I I think you're going to think this is weird. I I I don't. You're not going to understand this, but what's coming to me is." I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I know that's weird to you. Oh, I know wow. that's weird. I'm, yeah. Go with that. Yeah. Right? God's talking yeah. to them. Yeah. Because they feel safe. Then wow. God can, I believe he's going, yeah. right? These things that he's been trying to tell them for yeah. so many years that their trauma. Yeah. Satan blocks, right? Yeah. Can all of a sudden come. Yeah. It's wow. amazing. amazing. But we feel that when we feel the Holy Ghost yes, too. We feel yes, God speak yes, to us, right? Right. We feel God tell us things. We go, you know, we have these landmark experiences in our prayer life where we say, it was that day that God showed me this. Yeah. That he's always been my father and that he's always been there for me. The Holy Ghost can do the exact same thing. Absolutely. And when I pray for people at the altar, if I lay hands on a lady and I pray for her, I will pray, especially if I know the situation. I'm like, do God what you do. Heal her brain, Right especially if I know the situation, I know what's yeah. going on. And the thing that I see in therapy, I know you can do that right now wow. in this place, in this moment yeah. right now. Yeah. It, it's God is the healer. Yes. That's just a certain way we wow. can do it, but that's yeah. not, that's not the healing. Right. God is the healer. Yes. He's the ultimate healer. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm thinking I, I'm reminded of, of a story of this guy. I think the way that you pronounce his name is Martin Pistorius. Have you ever heard of him? I don't think so. Okay, get ready for this. This is it. It just moved me to tears when I read this story. Uh, he writes this book called The Ghost Boy, and in this book, when he was an adolescent, he got some kind of condition where his brain swole up, and he went unconscious, uh, and went into a vegetative state, mm. and uh, for years he was in a vegetative state. Um, and he says that he doesn't remember anything about his life before that point in time. But somewhere, I think he says around 15, 16 years old, his brain started turning on again. Mm. It, it flashes of light. It's like flashes of consciousness came. And from his vegetative state, because he still could not move his arms, his legs, his body, he couldn't speak. He he was he and even till this day he's in a vegetative state yet from his consciousness emerged thought and he became aware and understood where he was yet because his caretakers had experienced him as in a vegetative state for so many years they treated him as someone who did not have conscience a conscience uh, or was not conscious and he says he remembers everything. He could think, complete cognitive abilities. He was back, but he yet could not remember who he was as a child. He started at a certain point, but he didn't start as a baby. He's, his, his, 
I don't know what if they would call it his default neural network or something. Something turned on where he still had background information. He knew who his father and his mother was without having memories of the mother and father. And he would he would be physically abused. He would be, uh, you know, caretakers would put hot food in his mouth and scold his mouth. And he remembers everything. He remembers his mother and father fighting over him. Um, and at one point, his mother, in a point of desperation, screaming at him, why don't you just die? And him saying in his mind, God, just take me, kill me, what, because I don't want to be the cause of suffering. And he said that, you know, his, 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 uh, the way that he would get through the day is that he would see where the shadows are progressing in, um, in, in his room. And he hated Barney because they would put that on every single day and it would be just going over and over. And it, it, his favorite activity was looking at two ants that were crawling across the floor because he couldn't turn his head. And I'm saying all that to paint a very desperate picture. There's a certain part of his book where he says, in that moment in time, I can't tell you why, I can't tell you how, because my family was not religious. I had this internal knowledge that though nobody could see me, God could see me. Mm. That God knew who I was, mm. that God saw who I was, and he said that God is the only one that kept him hoping that kept him, his soul alive when he would speak to God and he would feel the presence of God mm. in moments of extreme desperation. He'd feel the presence of God come into the room and he'd feel that God was communing with him mm. even though he couldn't open his mouth, he couldn't lift his hands. And oh my goodness, when I read that, I just was, wow, mm -hmm. this is tremendous that an individual even in the most desperate of situations where nobody in the world is guaranteed to see that there's a human there mm -hmm. god still cares for mm -hmm. them god is still speaks to them mm -hmm. and god is helping them even mm -hmm. in their extreme and desperate situation right. make meaning of their world right. you know absolutely eventually a nurse discovered him and and they and through um micro movements he could communicate uh he ended up getting a degree a bachelor's degree and today he's married wow yeah it, i mean he's done ted talks he's done all kinds you can look him up he's there and he and he pre-writes his speeches you know because he can't speak still but he speaks about his experience and his experience with god you know and uh and and so but there's just something so powerful about when you let the Holy Spirit get a hold of your story, That's right. get a hold of your life. That's right. There's something powerful when you just begin creating and cultivating that the attachment above all attachments. That's right. The attachment to God. That's right. And I think part of the purpose of this podcast or taking the time to do this is for people to understand that if they're having problems mm. attaching to God, mm -hmm. it could be for things that sometimes we feel so much guilt. Yeah. You know, why am I not like everybody else? Why is this just not going away? Mm -hmm. What's wrong with me? Yeah. Why can I not trust God fully? Yeah. Right? And we start beating ourselves up. Yeah. Shame. The yeah. shame. And the shame is so demonic mm. and it's so overpowering. Yeah. And the, that people understand that these could be for reasons that you're not even aware of. Wow. 
that God can handle your questions. Yeah. God can handle your anger. That God understands your finite humanness. Yeah. He un- He was there before you were aware of what your memories were. He mm-hmm. knew what your mother ingested in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. He knew what your mother's attachment about the idea of you was when she yeah. was pregnant. Wow. He was there when you were born. Yes. He knew when you were getting your bottles and wow. if you were picked up. I mean, he knows yes, all of it and he powerful. understands. Yes. It's been such a privilege for me to be in people's sacred moments yeah. and see them heal that wound. Yes. And here i'm going to church more right they're having more faith because now they see god in a different light their father as their true father from the very beginning that was always there yes and because when you do that type of work and you see the bad things fade away and the Mm -hmm. good things about your life we call adaptive information wow right things that you can actually adapt and can be actually useful The the unuseful things fade away yeah right and you see the tra- the traumatic experiences actually in the past, and yeah. you don't feel connected to it anymore. Right. But you see the things that came out of it, yes. and you really can grasp that adaptive information. It completely changes your your view of the Lord. Wow! And it completely changes your walk with God. Mm. And so it's very very powerful. So these types of podcasts they don't replace therapy. No, Good therapy, yeah. right? It doesn't. Or even pastoral relationships. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely, but. Yeah it can help you make a little bit more meaning of your experience. And that goes miles. Right. That even in and of itself goes miles. Right. When you can begin to understand your situation, it's like you feel things are falling into place and yes. you can begin taking steps towards the right direction. That's right. You know, um, let's pretend I'm an individual who has had attachment issues and I'm realizing as I'm listening to this podcast, uh, there has been problems with me. Like I can't see my, I can't see God as my father. It's hard for me to contemplate God as my father. It's hard to contemplate God as someone who loves me unconditionally. What are some steps that I can take? What would you suggest? Maybe a friend or maybe somebody who's close to you, you know, uh, who you feel the confidence to kind of give direction. What are some things that I can do right now? You know, if I don't have access to a therapist, you right, know, and if right. I can't, you know, I can't afford it. I don't, you know, right. I can't, uh, you know, what, what should be, what are examples of okay. some steps that I can take? So the first thing is don't give up hope. Yes. That if they're, if you're not able to find a therapist right now, that's because maybe in your story, not maybe, absolutely in your story, right? That that's not the right timing has to happen, right? Mm-hmm. The right person, the right therapist has to come along, right? So God's not a band and that's not the answer to all your problems. Mm-hmm. There are things you can do. First thing is shaming yourself is why you're feeling the way you're feeling. Mm. So every time you're starting to recognize that thought that you're starting to shame yourself, just understand yeah. that that is part of why you're struggling so hard, right? And that's part, that's part of it. So having that patience with yourself, Finding a safe person, that can be very, very hard. The beautiful thing about the church is when some when someone's down, someone's always up, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. if your friend group, even in your church, doesn't seem like something that's safe for you, yeah. that's because God may be calling you to help with the nursing home ministry or yeah. somewhere else, another ministry in the church where you're going to find that safe person, right? Right. Wow. So 
even if your peer group is not really jiving with you right now, yeah. that's because God probably is trying to heal that attachment wound by another relationship. That's that that's powerful be, right there. I've and, never heard that said. Maybe there's an elder, right? Yes, right. Wow. And it may not be Instagrammable. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be taking selfies with it. Here's you know? my mentor who's helping me. You know, <laughs> you know right? But, then wow. that's, but that's okay. Do you want healing? Yeah. Or do you want to be on Instagram? You know, wow. what's, what's important to you, right? Mm. And so not feeling like you're fitting in usually not I can't why am I saying usually it always yeah. means yeah. <laughs> it always means that God has a different way for you somebody that you're oh. not thinking of right now be patient and be patient with yourself yes learn how to deep breathe mm. you can find YouTube videos on deep breathing yeah. right <laughs> learn how to appropriately deep breathe yeah. learn how to get in touch with your body sensations and body scan yeah. it's okay your body's a temple of the Holy Ghost right. it's okay to take care of it yeah. There's nothing wrong with taking your vitamins and hydrating and lowering your sugar because that stuff's all important too. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with checking in with the stress of your body yeah. and just recognizing that. Right. Journaling, expressing your thoughts. That's something that's really powerful, right? Yeah. So that safe person though, finding that person that is safe for you to glean from is really, really important. And again, if you don't have that right now, know that Jesus is enough and he's holding you until the next point where he feels that that person that's safe for you can be there for you. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with you struggling. That doesn't yeah. mean you're a bad person. That doesn't mean you're broken without repair. In many ways, that's part of the journey. That's right. You know, that's it's right. okay to struggle. That's right. It's okay to be feeling those things. Yes. Because it's part of a complete process. That's right. I mean, even Jesus himself, right, had a Gethsemane where he was struggling with, in his human self, the requirements, the pain that he knew that he was going to go through. That's right. And yet he addressed it. That's right. And he said, I recognize this. This is what I'm saying. Uh, If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. What that means is uh, there's a part of me that doesn't want to feel the requirements of the cross. Nevertheless, that's the full circle. That's Not right. my will, but your will be done. That's right. And so if Jesus had to go through this process of recognizing his own feelings towards a situation in life, yes, we can do that as well. We That's can recognize right. our own situation and say, I, I'm hurting. Right. I'm feeling the stress. I don't know if I can make it. If it be your will, let this cup pass for me. It was like you're wanting to deny mm-hmm. And say, or or trying to avoid the pain of being in this real life situation that you cannot run from. You're a father, and it's stressing you out, the requirements of fatherhood. And if you run a million miles away, you will still be a father. You will never be able to avoid that, right? right? But nevertheless, you can go full, recognize that stress That's of right. motherhood, of fatherhood, pastorship Mm -hmm. the requirements of being a pastor and minister and say this is hurting god Mm -hmm. you know and there's no shame in that that's right you know and 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 understanding as that is part of this process of coming to a place of healing a place of peace a place of restoration and things that's right absolutely yeah tremendous and and god will bring those people to you that are your people they understand you yeah he will. Yeah. And that especially if you feel a call of God on your life or mm-hmm. you feel earmarked for ministry, you must take this way. Mm. If if you don't have that experience in your life where you don't have an answer, I don't yeah. know if you have a ministry. Yeah. I just don't. I just I don't know how you're gonna relate to anybody. Yeah. I don't know how you're gonna understand what people go through. Mm-hmm. So and know that God uses difficult relationships yes. in your life to shape you. Yeah. My prayer would be if I was in a situation 
not a situation where I think I can fix someone's problems because right. it's not your responsibility. I'm talking about a, a situation like a parent. I'm a parent of a child or I'm in a difficult marriage or I'm in a difficult ministry situation. God, what are you trying to teach me? I guarantee you God is trying to teach you something mm. through this. That's a that's 100% guarantee. You can yeah. put your money on that. Yeah, That's for sure happening. Really? What are you trying to teach me? Also, something I wanted to mention, if you are married to someone or you're a friend of someone who's struggling with mental health issues, mm-hmm. understanding that you being there is enough. You don't yeah. have to fix it. Right. You don't have to fix them, but you being there is yeah. enough. It's doing something. It's doing something, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Amen. You just being there is enough. Wow. Well, I think this is a great place to, uh, you know, kind of put things on pause. I have no doubt that uh, it will have you back on the podcast, Sister Danielle. And um, God's going to do some great things. You know, I, I, there's some great plans. I mean, I, I, th- I have a deep desire to talk about trauma. You know, we don't really hear that uh, really spoken about, uh, you know, as clearly as I feel like it needs. But now it, it has been, though, you know, in the past few. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, mm-hmm. in, even in the apostolic movement, I, I, I hear more. I've heard it in Landmark, you know, a lot of sessions that are coming up in the in the in the unfortunately it was a ladies landmark. I heard yeah. some incredible stuff there. Um, and uh, I think the apostolic movement is is ready uh, to talk about these issues, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and we're finding our way through them, and and God is going to help us um, uh, have a discussion in a way that is going to be fruitful and a blessing and beneficial to anyone who might listen.